Good morning. I'm going to be reading 1 Corinthians 11 and 12. 1 Corinthians 11. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, uncovering the head in worship. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophecies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but women for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought not to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also is man born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I have received from the Lord what I have also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on this night, he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took his cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whatever you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if you are more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being dis disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters... When you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. 
and when I come, I will give further directions. Now about the gifts of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be un uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. And to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in his body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor and the parts that are unpresentable and treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts mean no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church first of all his apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way. I know a lot of you guys, I know exactly how wrong most of you are on stuff, so that's why I think of you guys. But remember, Jesus kind of thought about people like you and me ahead of time. He built in this, like, 
clause just in case we got a little arrogant about stuff to keep us in line. And he says in Matthew, why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, look, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Oh, wait, no, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye, in my own eye. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye, then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. What a tough, scathing uh, condemnation before we'd even done anything wrong yet. But he knew, Jesus knew, we would want to look for the specks wherever we can find them and in everybody else's eyes. So as we look at 11 and 12 today and just this whole sermon series and anytime you're reading scripture, uh, just put the pause button on applying it to somebody else. We are called to do that. We are called to challenge each other. But put the pause button on that and first apply it to you. Um, That's what I'm going to do also. I'm also going to be applying this to you. I mean, to to me. (laughs) So in chapter 11, like several times so far in this letter, Paul goes into detail about specific problems that are happening in the Corinthian church that are causing issues between the different groups of people in that church. That is key to hone in on. So what does that mean? The things that they're that are happening are causing problems. They are not just like a faux pas in themselves. They're not just like a, a little detail or issue that's not polished out. It is rippling outward. It is dividing the community. It's just disrupting worship when they gather together. It's inhibiting the focus of the community on Jesus and on sharing the gospel outside the community. So that's the kind of reasons Paul brings stuff up like this, not just because he's like, hey, we've got to tighten this thing up. You guys have some threads that are loose, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's things that are actually affecting the groups of people and inhibiting their effectiveness, inhibiting their real, their vision as a church. So keep that in mind, even as we read things that might be hard to relate to. So in essence, it's about unity. It's one of Paul's favorite things to bring everything back to in most of his writings. And I get how it could look like an oversimplification to look at like head coverings and, uh, you know, communion that way. But let's talk about those two issues in chapter 11 that I do believe are just about unity and then we'll move on to the cool stuff in chapter 12 about the parts of the body. So I think on the head coverings section, which is the very beginning of chapter 11, it's a really good exercise in searching through a passage of scripture to find the heart of the passage. Find what we can apply to ourselves instead of thinking about all the things that maybe seem like they don't. You know, As we're reading through stuff like that, it can be like, ah, oh, that doesn't make sense, I don't need that, blah, blah, blah. Just, just throw that out, throw that out. And, wow, we've got a really short chapter now. There's only a little bit I need to even think about or learn from this. And we just skip whole sections. So I think we need to go into Scripture looking for the truth we know is in there. We know it's there. um, And that we can apply it to our lives. It might take some searching, some sifting, some research, God forbid. But it it will be worth it to us. Um, I know this section goes into the headship stuff as well, not just talking talking about head coverings, which is confusing and kind of tough. I personally think it's a little too easy for our confusions about that to distract us from like Paul's main points. We can really get in the weeds on that stuff. So I'm not really going to go there too much. But I think he is throwing a bone a little bit to the camp who is kind of advocating for the head coverings and for the men not to wear any head coverings. But I think it's because he's connecting that stuff to people's attitude and reverence toward God, not because of some random just like tradition. and he and how they approach God in prayer specifically, and how we approach the, the body when we prophesy to them. So it seems important to Paul because it's about connecting to God. He does say men are the head of women, and he does say God is the head of men. So really, it's like God is the head of all of us, you know? He just gave a little bit of a, a couple layers there, but it's like, really, God is the head of all, and he says that later as well. 
So don't get too bogged down in some of this stuff. And even later, he takes some of the weight on of that situation, of that part of the chapter, off of his main idea by saying, like, yeah, men came first, but then, you know, actually, every man since then comes from women. And we're all from God. We're all created by God. So he, he kind of undoes some of that a little bit by just saying, like, this is not really my main point. Like, obviously, we could you know, talk through this a lot and go in circles about like, well, yeah, I guess it is true. And then he's himself doing that in his thinking. So don't get too caught up in that. Um, and he even goes as far as to say like, man, but we are dependent on each other. Men need women. Women need men. We are dependent on each other and dependent on God. So if you really wanted way more detail, deep dive into the head covering section, like about four or five years ago, Kelly Schlitz, one of the focus staff here, did a really detailed sermon about that. And I think it's amazing. It's great. John reminded me about it this week. And so huge props to her for taking that on because this is like easily top five things no one ever wants to like read, think about, or preach on. You know what I'm saying? And she leaned right into it and did a really good sermon about it. So check that out on the Focus website if you'd like more information about that in details. Um, I thought about us just playing it. Just like, why don't we just sit here and play it? But she does all the, the whole sermons about that. We have more to cover we've got to talk about other parts of this, these couple chapters. So um, I want to simplify this head covering section instead of going into the details and see if we can glean something from it. So culturally, there were really important distinctions in this time period and in this place about head, hair, head coverings, all that stuff all mattered to them, separate from the church, you know, separate from this new church that is, is recently established there existing in their culture, but clearly overlapping. You know, it's not like people were checking their culture at the door when they came into this church. It was a thing that existed there and had for a while. Those hair and head distinctions had to do with occupation. They had to do with status. They had to do with religious affiliation, like some cult stuff included. They had, obviously, to do with gender and even punishments for crimes. Apparently, shaving your head as a woman was a punishment for a crime sometimes. So a lot of reasons that, like, head coverings and hair and stuff was sort of a sign and sort of a, um, a way people could understand something about you, where you come from, what you are about. And for a good number of people, it also connected to their current faith. It was not separate from it. It connected to how they approach God in prayer and in prophecy. But for other people, likely out of a motivation of this new felt freedom that they had in Jesus. They're not under a law anymore, so they felt free to be fine without caring about head coverings anymore. They felt like uh, they didn't have to have those cultural traditions anymore, so men could grow their hair out like Ricardo and Drew, and um, women not wear coverings and maybe even cutting their hair short. Um, all that sort of stuff that for us, that's not a big deal. That is totally fine. But whatever it was, it was creating confusion within the church for one, and also outside of the church to people who are not believers. Um, very, very likely that both those things were happening everywhere. So people outside the church could have gotten some odd ideas about what this group, this community was about. And not only that would be confusing and maybe um, annoying to have to keep battling, but they wouldn't be getting the right ideas about what this community of God is about. It would be taking away from the chance to hear about what they're trying to do, what their vision is, um, loving like Jesus did, sharing about the gospel. It would be like, okay, that person has that haircut. They must be a cult priestess or a cult priest. That kind of stuff that like we don't do. We don't walk around like knowing like, Ryan, okay, here part of the side. He's a software developer. Easy. That's obvious. We don't have that. So it is obvious with Ryan if you do talk to him for like five seconds. But <laughs> from afar away, you can't tell. That would not be fair. 
So um, people inside the church and outside the church were likely confused and maybe even offended, and it was affecting their faith and distracting from the main point of what they're trying to do in this body. So I think this ties in perfectly with, with one of Paul's very timeless challenges that came up in Ryan and Leslie's sermons and Brad's last week. Paul contends that our individual rights and freedoms must be vastly less important to us than the good and health of the whole community. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. We've heard that a few times. And so I think that's what we can take away from this, not like a specific thing that Paul intended 2,000 years later for us to take a lot of specifics about what we should wear on our heads or not, but the idea that the whole community and the good of the whole community matters more to us than our individual rights and freedoms. The unity and good of the community must be our top priority. That's what, then, then what I want to do or what we want to do. And what's tough is the, the divide here is that when you take any of these things on their own, it's easy to say, why can't I just do this? It's not a big deal for me. You know, that's what we do in our heads a lot. I can wear whatever I want, or I can put whatever I want on my head, or I can drink whatever I want, or eat food, sacrifice to idols, or whatever. It doesn't bother me. And Paul's just saying, like, that's not our standard here about what does or doesn't bother you. Um, it's what, what the good of the community and how we all contribute to that as a collective. So if we're all thinking about everyone and each other, we'll have a much healthier community. Yeah. Do not let your freedom come at the expense of, of your brother or sister around you. Yeah. In um, chapter 10, um, Paul says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Yeah. Everything's permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. So this is kind of hard to modernize in some ways. I think we might know a couple small examples, but I was thinking of something that might, like, if it was happening today, cause a lot of ripples. Here's what I came up with, and... Um, it might be super imperfect, but I thought, let's just try it. What if, knowing that there is freedom in Christ, that we are not under the law, there's all kinds of freedom, if we just started cursing like sailors? Just cursing like sailors. Some of you guys do that, actually. But pretend like we all did that, not in a way of like cursing at other people or using the Lord's name in vain, but just every other word, a curse word about getting coffee and whatever else. Um, there are people in our body that that would be very um, hard for them to like be around and understand. There'd be kids that would start saying the, those words at, church, at uh, school and stuff. But, um, but you could mean nothing ill by it, right? But the language you're using matters. And then also outside of our community, if we were cursing like sailors and stuff, people might be getting some different ideas about us. That the hard thing about that is that um, we would think, oh no, that doesn't mean anything about me. It doesn't reflect anything about what I do in my life or who I you know, love or serve or whatever. But everything we do does give some sort of sign yeah. uh, to people about what our life is being lived for. Yeah. Um, and so that is what I thought of. Like, what if we just went all the way over to that? Like, just cursing about every single thing. And it would be so ridiculous. But it would probably distract <laughs> from our worship together, um, especially if McGinty and Garvin started adding extra lyrics in, you know? <laughs> um, and that's all I could come up with. Fill in your own thing there. Um, but I think that we have to think of examples like that that were causing a lot of stirring, that were causing a lot of trouble for some, and were not any bit of trouble for others, but that it did take away from the point of gathering together, took away from the point of their community. And if, if that's the case, then why not just ever curse ever again, you know? Like, why not just remove that from part of what we're doing, Melissa? And I'm no, just kidding. 
I just saw this like look on her face, and she was like, "Okay, I'm gonna look down." And she, yeah, she's never cursed, and I haven't either. Um, so I, I thought of two examples in my life where I've I've had the opportunity to just go with what I thought would be best for the community, despite it being very well within my rights to do something that I wanted to do. These examples are not ones I picked because they make me look good. I actually think that all of you guys would do exactly what I did in this situation. Um, and I just couldn't think of, of other ones that I had like witnessed. I couldn't think of a situation where it's like, Anthony did something really cool to somebody else, and now I'm not tooting my own horn here. So one time, uh, I used to work for a humanitarian ministry, and I was on a trip to Zimbabwe. And whenever we were prepping for this trip, uh, I was told by one of our staff members who'd been there a lot that um, only little kids, little boys, wear shorts. So I'm going to this very hot country, and only little kids wear shorts. And when you're an adult, you do not wear shorts there. So I'm like, okay, that kind of stinks because I'm working. I'm going to be getting down in the dirt and filming stuff, taking photos and all this stuff. I would love very much to be as comfortable as possible and to wear whatever I want. And it be, it's work for me. I want to be functional. But... Um, but adults don't wear shorts. So I could have caused some stir and some weirdness. Who knows what kind of like blowback there would have been. Maybe no one would have said anything. Maybe they would have quietly just been confused. But um, I'm not a little boy, as you guys can tell. I'm an adult man. Thank you very much. And so I just decided, why not just do it and suffer a little bit and not get into some cultural differences and just go ahead and let it happen. These are believers that I'm going to be spending time with in Zimbabwe, who love Jesus, and this is something that is part of their culture, and it's not like part of their worship, but it's just a normal everyday thing. Why not just do it? What is there to lose, you know? Um, uh, that's a little bit more of a harmless one. Another one that I thought was, is a lot more of a big deal is that I went to Jordan once. I have a tattoo on my arm right here that says, um, I should have like worn a short sleeve shirt or something. It says Yahweh in Hebrew, and um, I got that because I was like, I'm not planning on changing the, the, the God that I follow at some point in my life, so I think it'll be fine. Um, so I didn't even think about it, went to Jordan, and at this time, the refugee crisis was at its like peak, it's still a serious thing, and Jordan was taking in a lot of refugees from Syria and the surrounding areas, and uh, another country nearby, Israel, was not taking any refugees. And so I was talking to people who don't speak Hebrew, but they know what it looks like, and they know what country didn't take them in. And I was spending time with these Jordanian believers who are ministering to refugees and walking around. And one of the, um, the staff people there, who's Jordanian, saw my tattoo. I'm so glad he saw it early. And he was like, you know, when we're going to homes, that's, that's going to hurt some people. They're going to see writing on your arm that um, they don't know that you love Jesus. They don't know that you love them. They don't know any of that stuff. They're just going to see that first. And they are going to think about that they had to flee from their home, and they were not taken in uh, in this place, but they were here. Um, and so even though your tattoo means great things to you, and it's like a big part of your life, it might be good to cover it up. Um, he didn't say all that detail. He, he was much more succinct. But um, to me, that's obvious. No brainer. Like, what am I going to just be like, nope, sorry, I'm proud. You can't, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to go stomp around and not care about the consequences of what I do in everybody else's life. Um, and so I think most of us would do exactly that thing in that situation. Those are the kind of examples that uh, I could come up with that are real life ones, you know? 
But um, just think about that a little bit. What's a situation? It might not be one, you don't, might not have an idea or an example until something happens to you. <laughs> something comes up where you are at battle a little bit with your personal rights, something that isn't really a sin on its own, something that isn't really a problem on its own, but does affect the people around you. And you'll have to kind of weigh that and decide to care more about the people around you than yourself. So I think that's a good way to summarize the head covering section and get very far away from the, the specifics of, of that time and place. Um, so I want to move on to the Lord's Supper, which is a similar problem in some ways, in that like what the way he describes the problem that they're having with the Lord's Supper is kind of unrelatable to us. Uh, not many of us are getting drunk on one milliliter of grape juice uh, when we're here on Sunday mornings. So um, it can be kind of hard to relate to that. But here's what I think is happening here with the Lord's Supper in their community. One of the biggest things is being affected by the differences of class and wealth that have permeated their community and um, also have clearly had an effect on the Lord's Supper when they take it together. Some people can afford to bring larger amounts of nicer food, sort of a potluck style, except that the people who bring more stuff, I guess, also get to have more stuff. And then they're getting their plates first, the, the wealthy are going first, and they're piling their plates high, they're filling their glasses to the brim of wine, and they're leaving barely anything for the other people who are not rich in their community. So, again, unrelatable. But that's what's happening. That's what Paul's describing here. And um, just remember for a second what the Lord's Supper even is, um, like Leslie just reminded us. It's our way of remembering Jesus' love for us. He loves us enough to lay down his life to save us. He humbled himself and served others. And he made his instructions about how to do it. Pretty simple. Do this in remembrance of me. Um, he didn't give a lot of parameters. He didn't say, don't also have some other food and don't also have a lot of bread. But he did, said, do this in remembrance of me. I need to be the purpose for which you are doing this meal. And I think that is clearly what the Corinthian church is missing here. Um, it doesn't sound like their whole reason behind what they're doing is Jesus, or they might have caught some of their errors on their own. They're making it about getting full enjoying getting drunk, just being gluttonous, lavishly, you know, going all out, but also by, while leaving people out in their own community. It's not for Jesus. That's clearly not who they have in mind. It's also not displaying the characteristics of Jesus, the things that we're supposed to be thinking about when we take the Lord's Supper. So they're missing it. They're not doing it for him, and they're not doing it in any way that looks like him or is a, a, a memory of him. It's not uh, following in the humility, the service, and the love, and the selflessness that Jesus so well demonstrated to us in his life. It became an abuse of freedoms, just like the head coverings, not head coverings, whatever issue in the previous section. So Paul addresses those with the, the, some practical recommendations. He tells them some specific things to do, like, you know, don't bring a lot of food, but also if you're really starving, just eat at home. He gives a couple of those things, but I think um, that that the practicals are not quite what we need to take out of this, just like in the other one. Paul goes on to say that um, the larger point is that the Lord's Supper needs to be taken seriously. It's a very important thing. It's an opportunity for us to do uh, what I just talked about, to remember Jesus and to think about the things that he called us to, the things, that, things he did for us, the way he lived his life. And so Paul goes on to, to try to refocus this whole situation on the whole reason we have the Lord's Supper telling them to examine themselves, focus on Jesus, his sacrifice, the way he lived, care about each other just the way Jesus cared about others. And that's something that absolutely can apply to us. Uh, Leslie did a great job of using that section during our, our community talk. So two ways I think we can sum up these two sections 
scripture. I know I didn't say any points yet. You guys have just been like holding on for dear life, just wondering when something's going to land. So the two points I think we can take and kind of store is the good of the whole community must supersede our individual freedoms. And the posture, the mindset, the methods with which we approach God, whether in worship or in prayer or prophecy or in the Lord's Supper, they matter. The posture, mindset, and methods with which we approach God matter. There's not one right, detailed, strict way. Jesus' instructions are simple about the Lord's Supper. But it does matter. And, you know, in our community, we're just about as casual as it gets on most things. Um, so do we have reverence in here, though, somewhere, in our minds, in our hearts, when we're doing things like the Lord's Supper, when we're worshiping together? Are we submitting our hearts and minds to God and to each other? I think just because we're not getting drunk during communion doesn't mean we would get a pass on what Paul's saying here. Can't be like, we're good. We're clear on this. We're not getting full. I mean, this wafer actually makes me hungrier than it does fill me up, you know? But uh, I want to say that's something I, I personally struggle with a lot, like not getting in the routine of stuff, not being coming numb to something like I talked about in the Easter uh, service. When something happens recurringly, it's so easy for me to get numb to it, for it to stop kind of mattering to me. And so I think um, thinking through that and having reverence for the Lord and submitting our hearts and minds to him and not just doing something that we're used to doing and not just being kind of zombies about it is, is one of Paul's main points here. Okay, <clears throat> so that's all in chapter 11. Oh, let's move on to chapter 12. <laughs> it's a way, way more fun in a lot of ways, way cooler section I love how some parts of Paul just preach themselves. They just, it's cool. You read chapter 12, and it just is a sermon on its own. So it is so great, and I can't add a lot to it, but we'll just talk about it anyway. So Paul's putting forward some parameters in this, in this chapter about the differences in their community and that those are good things and that unity is utmost important, which is what he said a million times already. But he's also trying to put forward some parameters on how to figure out where the sweet spot is, you know? Differences are very good. Unity is very good. Disunity, very bad. Um, gifts of the Spirit, very good. So there, there clearly is lots of ways to err in the wrong way on this, and one right way to get all these things in perfectly in balance, which we'll probably never perfectly do. Um, I was reading a commentary, and you know what's funny about any commentary is that you read a section of Scripture, someone's commentary about it is as long or longer. You know, it's like, it just kind of gets longer and longer every time you, like, remove it by one layer. But I found this sentence that summarized chapter 12 that it's not, like, in itself super easy to understand, but I was just impressed by how succinctly this was put. The successive waves of Paul's argument can be summed up as follows. Not disunity, but instead unity, yet unity not uniformity, he actually says that, but of mutual concern and love. So that guy just crunched the entire chapter 12 into like one sentence. Yes. The successive waves of Paul's argument may be summed up as follows. Not disunity, but unity. Yet unity, not uniformity, but of mutual concern and love. So, we all are benefited by having a good old nice diagram. Amen? Amen? Can we show this diagram? 
So this diagram is what I like to call the Venn diagram, Venn diagram, diagram. And it looks pretty cool, I have to say. So here's what, so there's four layers to what that guy just said. So that's where the four circles come in. So you can notice, it, you could overlap in two areas, but not in the others. You could overlap in three areas, but not in all four. There's that little spot in the middle where you would get all four of those things. And that's what I kind of want to talk about. So to put it in an easier to understand way, not, yeah, keep that up by the way. Um, not disunity, but unity under one spirit. There's one spirit, there's one Jesus, there's one Father. But not all of us having the same giftings. That's on purpose, we're all different. But all of us prioritizing the whole good of the body. So that's the four circles. Not disunity, but unity under God. There's one God. I probably could have labeled these. Yeah. Um, variety is good on purpose. It's purposed by God. But it has to be for the good of the whole community. See, that, see what I'm saying here? You have to get in all of those, or you're kind of erring in some way. So um, disunity, Paul talks about, even before you delve into the reasons for why it might be there in any given community, disunity is already a loss. It's already displeasing, dishonoring to God for his people to be not united. That is simple. It's simple as that. Um, you have to parse through a lot to solve disunity, but we just know, Paul says it so clearly, that disunity dishonors God. Yeah. In chapter 6, Paul talks about when the Corinthians were like suing each other for different reasons and stuff, that just the fact that they're doing that is already a loss. He doesn't really go into like, now I did hear about one of the cases, and I think Becca might have a case against Anthony. I think she's got a good, pretty good case. He doesn't even go into that. He's like, you guys are suing each other? It's gotten this bad already? That is a loss. So disunity is already a loss. But unity must be under God. When we're talking about unity, God must be where we're seeking it. He's our creator, he's our savior, and the spirit in us that gives us different giftings. Without God as our standard, we'll wind up with some other standards that look a lot more like uniformity. We'll come up with other standards of how we want people to be like, what giftings we want, etc., that will be a lot more like, I want you to be like me. Or you to be like somebody else. Variety is good, and it's on purpose by God. I remember hearing one time, it put this way, that stuck with me. If everyone in our community were exactly like you, like an exact clone, what would our community be like? If there were just like a hundred of you, what would our community be like? What would the strengths be? I'm sure there'd be some. What would the weaknesses be? And could it even really work? Wouldn't it be like probably really boring? I think if everyone were me, yeah, 100% it'd be so boring. We'd be talking about coffee all the time. And talking to, we would have no beards in our community if we were all me. That'd be a downside. And this is as tall as we'd get, you know? That'd be so, such a bummer. But think about that for a second. Think just for a second. What would it be like if everyone was you? I'm going to take a drink because I'm just, my throat's getting all garbled. Okay, and the fourth element of that is prioritizing the good of the whole body. So these parameters that Paul sets up in this chapter are all interdependent on each other, which is why I made a diagram. But I think this last one, the prioritizing the whole good of the body, really helps seal it up. If we didn't have this one, I think we could get pretty dang far off. 
Paul's not talking about different giftings just for the sake of it. He's not talking about different giftings just for, you know, for fun or whatever, but for the sake and the good of the community, and that's something that God envisions for us. So it's not like, I'm a really nice person, Leslie's really mean, but God's good, like we've got differences, you know what I mean? It's not like, wait, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we want, just these differences and, and um, not concern for how they actually contribute to, affect, and build up the community. Um, I, sh- I could have put that the other way, but it wouldn't be as funny, you know? Saying that I'm mean and Leslie's not mean would be accurate. Um, but it's just a, it's a little obvious, but Paul even applies that same logic to the different giftings that are clearly from the Spirit. He doesn't just apply it to things like mean and nice, you know what I mean? He applies it to things like speaking in tongues and prophecy, which will be in the next, in chapter 14. He compares those to each other, and he has no qualms about saying that one of those things has a more discernible and holistic benefit to the community in the immediate, and that's prophecy, and that tongues doesn't have that. They're both really good things, and when in doubt, go for, going for variety for variety's sake is not really a good option. Go for what is best and will serve the whole community best. So you're noticing a theme here, both chapter 11 and 12, that talk about very different things, do have a consistent thread through them, that thinking about the community as a whole is the way to err. Thinking about the good of those people around you is the way to err and the way to prioritize. So um, I like how at the end there of chapter 12, he talks about just the different roles, um, different things, like, is everybody a teacher? Is everybody a prophet? Blah, blah, blah. And you notice how something he doesn't say is like, and some of you guys are just audience members. And y'all get to just watch all of us do this stuff or whatever. He doesn't say that. (laughs) He seems to imply that everyone's got a gift. Everyone's got something to contribute to the community. Everyone has a part of the body to be. Everyone is going to be something that that matters. We know how complicated our bodies are. It's such a great analogy that he uses. But everything is necessary. Everything is important. Everything contributes to it. You're a part of the body. You are not just an audience member. So, um, and we are all given the same call as well to uh, make, well, I always want to say our vision, but to go into all nations and make disciples in Jesus' name. So I realize this has been kind of crazy, so I'm just going to say all my points again so that it feels like there was some structure while we were along the way. So the good of the whole community must supersede our individual freedoms. The posture, mindset, and methods with which we approach God matter. And then these four things up here um, were disunity dishonors God. Unity must be under God. Variety is good and is given to us on purpose by God. But we must prioritize the good of the whole body. Um, I think a bit of homework that I want to leave you with and think about this week is, I think it'd be great just to take some prayerful time to think about the different giftings in our specific community. Um, I don't think that's something that I would naturally do on my own. I think it's easier to think of analogies like a human body and um, be content to leave it at that. So spend some time this week thinking about the different giftings in our community as if they are a, a functioning body with different, different functions and organs and all that stuff, all serving different important aspects of the same direction, the same vision 
for the good of the body. What gifts do you appreciate in others? What giftings do you have a hard time appreciating in other people? Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes on that. I think perhaps most importantly, ask the Holy Spirit to show you what part you are, what part of this body that you are, or what part you should be. Lord, you're so good to us, and um, I'm so glad you didn't make us all the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we need each other, and, and you say that every chance you get. Yeah. Thanks for making us different. Thanks for filling us with your Holy Spirit, but giving us different giftings. Yeah. Lord, help us to know what those things are, to use them well, use them wisely, to be the people that you make us to be, mm-hmm. and to be part of a whole unity that really does honor you and serve you very well. Lord, as we think about trying to apply stuff that is very challenging to apply, lots of layers to sift through, please just guide us. Guide our hearts. Guide our minds. Help us not to be distracted by the things that um, aren't the main thing you want us to know or think about. Um, It would be a loss if we spent all this time just trying to split those hairs and and, uh, iron out those details, but never go and do the mission and the vision that you've called us to. Help us to put that at the front of us and to be so glad that the people ministering next to us do it differently. Um, Lord, help us to just seek our hearts and know which things that are different about us um, aren't actually contributing to the whole. Um, And Lord, I just pray that you would be the the one that really helps guide how quickly we can get off on this stuff. Help us to be even just a little bit close to being as selfless as you are. Um, Help us just to have your people in mind the way you did. Um, And just to value others more than ourselves. Mm -hmm. Lord, we desperately need you every single minute of every day um, as we go together. Please help us not to be um, disunified. Help us to be one team together doing the work you've called us to here in this town. Yeah. Um, Lord, be with us as we go. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.